Katie Smith is business editor at the Columbus Dispatch and editor of Columbus CEO Magazine. She's been a journalist for more than 20 years, most of those covering business in Columbus. She grew up in Bexley and now lives in Clintonville in a duplex with her husband, Nick, her rescue cat, Dexter, and her brother, Joe, who she cares for. So Katie has been sharing other people's stories for about 20 years now, and today she is generous enough to share her own story publicly for the first time. Now, fair warning, the story goes to some dark places, featuring graphic descriptions of murder, domestic abuse, and neglect. And if that's going to be triggering, this may not be the episode for you. But I'm so grateful and in awe that Katie was willing to share these stories because I think it's really important and cathartic to tell the stories that are difficult to tell, not just for yourself, but for the people who receive them. Stories have a power to heal, maybe unlike anything else in this world. It can be so isolating to go through an experience and feel like you're the only one. It's easy to internalize negative circumstances and feel like they're your fault. And for a lot of people who are going through what Katie went through, it may not even be safe to share the story yet. But when you see yourself in someone else's story, when you hear what's possible for them, it creates a whole new space, a whole new possibility. It creates hope. So without further ado, let's get into our episode with Katie Smith. All right. We are here today on the Gravity Podcast with Katie Smith. Katie, I am really excited to have you on. It's been uh, a joy to work with you uh, over the years. And to see you grow and continue to take on more responsibility and be a prominent figure in Columbus. Usually, you know, uh, you're behind the scenes and and the one that's been asking the questions and building the stories and 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 making you know the the media happen here in Columbus. But uh, this time, I get to turn the tables a little bit and ask the questions. And and I know just from spending some time with you that you have a very rich and beautiful journey, which uh, I'm excited to dive deep in and, and, and hear and share with our audience. Well, Brett, thank you so much for having me on the show. You know, I, I've known you for, I mean, how, how many years? Like high school? So you, you were in high school with me. I didn't really know you then, but of course I remember that you were there. I think you were the year ahead of me. And so all that time that's passed since then, and we don't need to say exactly how many years. I mean, I think it's probably 25 years or something. Yes. Yeah. Watching you build your companies and of course being in the in the business press and, and having reporters write about you. Um, it's been really great to watch your journey too. So thank you for having me here. And you're right. It, you are turning the tables and you're interviewing a person who's made her life's work um, interviewing other people and telling their stories. And so to come on today and to talk to you about my story is a big deal for me, actually. I don't um, I don't keep a diary. I don't do personal writing. And um, even though I'm a writer and I, um, I just stopped doing that a long time ago, my early 20s, I just, I don't know if I felt like it was vain or I didn't want people to later read it, you know, and find out what it awful shit I was. Um, I just, I threw away all my diaries and, and set about uh, doing my work of telling other people's stories. But, you know, a lot of things have happened in my life. I've actually experienced a number of traumatic events 
in adulthood that I've never talked about or written about. And so um, this will be the first time that I've talked about this stuff publicly. Wow. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's, uh, it's an honor to, just to hear you say that and be open to sharing. And, you know, there is a bit of a theme that's kind of accidentally emerged with the podcast where that happens. People often say, I haven't thought about it or talked about it, uh, certainly not shared it publicly. And it's really one of the kind of real pleasures of doing this work for me is there's a kind of a uniqueness, a connection, a bond, a sharing, a, an opening, whatever you want to call it, that happens that really feels important for kind of everybody involved. And I'm, I'm, I'm interested, you know, right away, you know, kind of the reminder of having been in high school together and known each other, you know, the many years, you know, it's kind of a funny thing, you know, Katie, because you're, you're right. We were in school together. We didn't uh, spend time together, know each other really well. And, you know, when I think to kind of how um, I was at that time and what was going on in my life and kind of what had kind of led to how I was being at that time, you know, just what I was up to, you know, our, our, our lives were probably very different. And yet, you know, we've landed here and, and you're, I think, being kind saying 25 years uh, for me at least, <laughs> um, you know, but um, all these years later and we have so much overlap, you know, now we're like, right. you know, um, get a chance to as adults and like really be adults connect in a way that is is very interesting, you know, and I, and, and I feel fortunate to at least, you know, have an opportunity to connect with you now, you know, at, at, at this time in our life. I feel fortunate also. Yeah. So I recently started a new job as business editor of the Columbus Dispatch. Um, I started last week. It's pretty overwhelming so far. The business of uh, putting together a daily newspaper and running news online all day is pretty intense. And then, of course, I'm doing that in addition to remaining editor of Columbus CEO, um, which is a monthly magazine. So I've got, you know, sort of three published cycles to balance. There's the daily online, there's two websites, the dispatch website, the magazine website, and then there's the um, the daily newspaper, and then there's the monthly magazine. Um, this for me is a, it's a great honor. Um, I'm excited to join the dispatch team and it's actually rejoining. I was an intern there 19 years ago this spring. And so um, remembering the time that I spent at the dispatch, um, it was after I graduated journalism school at Kent State University, and I came home to be a dispatch intern. I, I was there for seven months, full-time, writing stories. You know, they rotate you among the different desks when you're an intern. You do a little crime. You do a little Amish country. You do a little... I happen to do a, lo a lot of politics. They rotated me into the, the public affairs desk, and I covered state government the first time Larry Householder was Speaker of the Ohio House. And so that was all really fascinating, and I had such a great experience there. Unfortunately, at the end of the um, internship, they screwed up really bad and they didn't hire me. They should have. They hired another intern um, who I'm sure went on to be a great reporter. But at that time, actually, it was pretty rare for any intern to get hired. So I went on to, to work other places and, and build a journalism career. Um, but you know, during that time when I was at the dispatch, I've been reflecting back on that now with my return to it. And many of the same people who were there then are there now. And I've been looking at, like, I still have my car card. Um, back in the day, the dispatch had 
a fleet of uh, like Ford Fiestas or whatever little cars that reporters would check. You would check out a car to go out on an assignment. So you had a car card with your picture and we had building IDs with our pictures. And I was looking at my pictures of myself and, and again, just remembering what that time was like. And, you know, Brett, um, I've been realizing in the past, um, I don't know, two, three years, how much I never talked about the trauma that I was actually going through at that time in my life. Mm -hmm. And all those people I worked with had no idea that, you know, all those days during my internship, I would go home and be abused by my fiance. Mm -hmm. I was in a domestic violence situation with my, he was my college boyfriend who became my fiance. Um, He moved home uh, with me to Columbus from Kent. He, um, I think, obviously had really bad, I think, undiagnosed mental illness. And he was a violent person. He probably still is. I'm glad that I don't have to know whether he still is because I don't I don't know him anymore. Um, mm-hmm. I did leave the relationship. But um, this guy, you know, I, I thought that it was my fault. Like, I never told anybody what was going on, that he was, you know taking me into the closet in our house and berating me or spitting on me for not ironing his clothes the right way. Um, or I remember he freaked out once because I, um, I don't know if you, you're into design. So you probably know about curtains that are like um, a crepey gauzy material and they're not like perfectly pressed. The, the look is to be crepey and gauzy. And I just remember I hung some beautiful curtains um, and he like freaked out that they weren't, um, that they were like crepey and gauzy. He thought it looked bad and he just, oh my God. One night we were drinking with his, um, you know, just having beers and playing cards with his cousin and his wife. And my boyfriend had had a little too much. And I was like, hey, do you really want to have another beer? And he freaked out and broke every light bulb in our house. Mm-hmm. Wow. He would chase people in the car um, all the time. He would traumatize me um, driving like 90 miles an hour on the freeway, chasing other drivers and shaking his fist at them and like pounding the roof of the car, screaming at the top of his lungs. It was terrible. Yeah. And I always blamed myself. I was like, why don't I just leave this guy? It's so weird. I didn't even really love him. Honestly, Mm. like it wasn't that I thought I was so in love and I couldn't leave him. It was just that I was stuck. I was financially dependent on him. I was a young woman and my mom had died. My mom had died right before I graduated from college. And um, that was something else that played heavily into this time of my life was her death. And I think it affected decisions that I made. But I, I always thought, why don't I just leave this guy? Like I should just leave him and I'm I'm doing the wrong thing. And so I was embarrassed and I didn't tell my family. I didn't tell my friends. I didn't tell anyone I worked with. I had like one or two friends who knew what was going on. And I remember once one of them gave me a card for choices, victims of domestic violence. It's a nonprofit in Columbus. And he was like, hey, if you ever need to seek help. And I was just like, what are you talking about? That's Mm -hmm. not my life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Katie, let let me jump in there. And thank you for sharing that and and just coming forward, you know, right away with with that. You know, I'm I'm just imagining, you know, you in this time and getting this sense that 
it must have been so um, overwhelming and kind of all encompassing that like you felt some sort of sense of being stuck or trapped or just not even sure how to handle this or, or, or to, you know, get out of it or navigate it, you know, can you maybe just talk a little bit more of like what, and I think this is really important because, you know, there could be other people that are currently in this situation, certainly other people that have experienced this and, and kind of having this shared experience and, and kind of bringing awareness to it and attention to it. And, you know, maybe letting other people know they're not alone in, in this thing. I'm sadly, it's, it's, it happens more than, than any of us would like. Talk a little bit about kind of what happened for you. How, how are you feeling? How did you manage to navigate it and ultimately get out of it? It went on for six years, which is just so way too long. And it was like one thing, there was always some reason not to leave, you know, like um, early in our relationship, I didn't want to leave because I thought that I couldn't afford my own apartment in college. That was complete bullshit. Of course, Mm -hmm. I could afford the apartment. Um, but that was my reason. Later in life, um, I felt stuck. I couldn't leave because I was engaged to this guy now. And I, you know, he had a promising career as an architect, interesting person, um, had a lot of flaws, obviously. So the engagement prolonged it. My mother's death and that feeling of general um, just insecurity uh, in the universe, feeling um, like I was in a chaotic and destructive universe that. I, you know, this bad relationship sadly brought a sense of security. If you, you know, to put the other things in context. And then, you know, after my mom died, my uh, boyfriend bullied me into using the money that I got from her death, which was only $5,000, to buy a house. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he like took me on, this was in 2004 or something, took or three. Like we would go look at places and he would berate me again in the closets of these places while realtors were there, like mm-hmm. telling me, you know, cause I didn't really like any of the places and he'd be like, no, we have to pick one. So mm-hmm. finally we did buy a house. So it was like, there you go. We bought a house together. So I'm further stuck. And I remember just spending hours and days and weeks and months, just like in this horrible suspended in inertia, just, like emotional inertia, intellectual inertia. I wasn't doing anything. I wasn't creating anything. I wasn't myself at all. I was just like in this terrible purgatory, waiting, Mm -hmm. knowing, knowing that one day I would leave, knowing that it would end somehow. And the way it finally did end was that I got pregnant Mm -hmm. and I I had an abortion. Mm -hmm. I called my dad and I told him what was happening. Um, I didn't tell him about the abortion. Um, And I can say that now because he's dead. But I told him what was happening and I called my best friend from high school and we um, rented an apartment um, on the street that I now live on again today. Uh, And I got an abortion and I left that guy. My dad Mm -hmm. came and picked me up in the truck. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And the last time I saw him, I was driving away while he was kicking my car. Mm. Mm. Wow. Uh, Katie, you know, thank you, first of all, again, for sharing that story. And, you know, gosh, it makes me sad that, you know, anyone would have to experience that, all of it. I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot for a young woman, any human, nobody should have to um, go through that. And, you know, the courage and strength that you've had to get out of it and move on with your life is, is really admirable. And I want to talk a little bit about kind of what happens from there and certainly, you know, kind of get into where you've landed today. But I'd like to back up a little bit and, and talk a little bit about kind of your early childhood and kind of your, your family dynamic. And if there's anything that kind of stood out there and if there is any connection to kind of, you know, that relationship that you ended up in. Can you back up and just tell me a little bit? I know you went to Bexley, you know, from Bexley. Talk a little bit about kind of the early childhood, your family, and and kind of what that dynamic was like. Yeah, yeah. Let me just say, though, for anyone out there listening who may be in a situation like the one I described, so it's like a magic spell. Just tell someone. Break the spell. Just tell someone. Make it real. It's okay. It's not your fault. And you can get out of it because there's yeah. always some way for you to survive um, outside that relationship. It, your life will be so much better. So yeah. it's interesting. And thank you for that. saying that. Yeah, thank you yeah. for saying that. And I and I do want to come back to kind of you know that time period when you you know started to move on and, and really talk about the, the the courage and the steps that you took. Um, you know, I want to I want to kind of really double click on on this piece because I do think it will be important for people. I am curious just to kind of back up though and hear a little bit of more of the the background um, up to it. So we'll we'll come back around. But yeah, if you could share, you know, kind of that first part. Yeah, yeah. So I, you know, I found it really. I could say that there, this relationship was not really a repeat of anything that. Any dynamic that was happening in my childhood household, and I, and so that was made it all the more confounding to me why I was in that situation. But um, my parents uh, were both from Ohio, and uh, my dad grew up in Columbus. Um, his father was one of the uh, top guys on the Columbus police force in the 1970s and the late 60s. My grandfather was an extremely violent man. He was a scary cop who had a, a secret second family. I never knew him. He, I was four years old when he died. And he uh, was head of the vice squad and the intelligence bureau. And uh, he was a scratch golfer. So that was my grandpa. And that's the environment my dad grew up in. It involved violence. It involved my grandmother being abused by my grandfather. My father was the oldest of four boys. And he had Crohn's disease. So he never grew to be six feet tall like his brothers. He was only five, six. He was very handsome and he was very smart. Uh, And so he went to college. And I think he was definitely the first in his family to do that. He went to Ohio State. He liked business. He studied business and he went to the automotive industry. And my father was an extremely soft spoken man. 
who, when he got angry, the little vein would pop out on his head. And I actually have that too. And he would get kind of red and I do that too. But um, he never was like, I, I wouldn't call my father an abusive a uh, person like his father in any sense of the word. He was much more soft, soft-spoken and maybe had some anger management issues, but um, for the most part was really a great guy. And my mom was, um, I think, I didn't have a great relationship with my mom once I got to be older, sort of like teenager years, but she stayed home with us until I was 11. She was the first lady um, on our block on South Roosevelt between Astor and Mound to go back to work. And all the ladies on our block were like scandalized that my mom went and got a job. She got a job as a secretary at the Columbus Jewish Federation. And so she did that because my parents got separated when I was 11 years old. My dad moved out. Uh, Their relationship wasn't working out. My mom wanted something much more romantic. I don't know if she just lacked maturity or what it was. She just, the spark wasn't there. She wasn't happy with my dad. And unfortunately for us children, they did not work out. They were together for 15 years. Um, My dad being the great guy that he was, he always came every weekend to pick us up and always brought my mom money. There was no fight. There was no court battle. There was not even any court involvement. They just separated. They were separated for 10 years. And then the only reason they got a disillusion was that both of them remarried 10 years later to other people. But my mom went back to work because my dad had moved out and she worked as a secretary, but she also started going to college at Ohio Dominican to study social work on Saturdays. So I have um, a younger sister and a younger brother and my brother has autism. So kind of layer that into our family picture here. My brother was diagnosed by our pediatrician in 1986. He's kind of one of your original autism people, right? When they were first learning about that. And um, his name is Joe, uh, Joe Waters. And many people uh, who knew us and Bessley um, love Joe and will remember him. Um, people all over town know him. He has a great, wonderful personality. And so Uh, my mom was raising the three of us kind of by herself. I mean, yes, my dad was coming back, but during the week, like it was all us and she was going to work. There were three of us. My brother had autism. He wasn't that great at communicating. He screamed and cried a lot. Sometimes he would like run away in the middle of the night in his diaper because he loved um, like walk, taking walks and he loved visiting places. Um, If you remember Ameriflora, Joe ran from our house to Ameriflora. Like across Main Street, across Broad Street, or at least like down Broad Street, like it was far away. The police found him. Mm. Um, so my mom had stressors going on, yeah. you know, so she didn't pay yeah. a lot of attention to us. Like her, her attention was extremely split. I would say we were probably kind of neglected. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's an interesting thing. I think that, um, that, that, that yes, you know, you probably were neglected. And oftentimes, I think when you grow up in an environment like that, it's it's just what you know, and you and you don't really necessarily see it as being um, neglectful. You know, it's just kind of the environment that you're in. But certainly now that you're, you know, able to look back and reflect, you can actually see there was some needs that were not being met in a time that, you know, for an 11 year old, for for a young girl, teenage girl, you know, to have a brother who 
is is you know autism, like you said, that was kind of a new thing to really <clears throat> you know um, comprehend and understand. And and today there's so much more acceptance and patience and and support around that. But at that time, it must have been very very difficult and and maybe even like confusing. Um, to uh, have in your family dynamic, to have your parents separate, to to not be getting the support you need from your mother, um, all of that, Katie has had to have been very hard. Um, whether you knew it at the time or just looking back, um, for that for that young girl, right? It really was. It, thank you for recognizing that it was. And you're right. You don't realize that it's that other people's houses are different um, when you're a kid. <laughs> I was looking, my mom, you know, was could be uh, neglectful and she could also be kind of cruel sometimes. And um, I was, you know, somebody on Facebook was circulating a picture. I went to Christ the King for church. We, we, we did the whole Catholicism thing until I was about seven. And so I, someone circulated a picture on Facebook, uh, a classmate of mine from Bexley. It's a picture of our first communion. And you see lined up there in the picture, all these cute little girls. And they're all wearing their white little dresses and their little white shoes. And then there's this little girl wearing a pink dress and black shoes. And guess who that was? <laughs> it was me. Mm-hmm. So that's just definitely something was different with our family. That's it is yeah. for many families. But yeah. um I, and, I but it's interesting because you started off by saying, you know, that the abuse that you eventually experienced didn't really have a connection to childhood, you know, maybe in that like they that your parents weren't physically abusive, but but knowing kind of how there was neglect how um, there was this separation, knowing how, you know, there was the challenge with your brother. Do you see that, 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 and I don't, I'm not, I'm not saying yes or no, it's not for me to decide, but your, your experience, do you see how maybe there could have been a, a hole that, you know, allowed something like that to come into your life later on? Definitely, definitely. And that conditioning of being used to kind of being in a unit where you're not treated well. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, Yes, you're right. And I think, you know, the only reason I even draw attention to that is because, and why I like to kind of go back and hear the early childhood piece is it's just to highlight, you know, how, how just, how just not your fault any of this is. You know, that I think um, people find themselves in abusive situations or in situations with addiction. Um, and they, they take on stories about why they should have done something else or why maybe they should have seen it or why, why you know, how did they end up in this position at all? And it's, it's, just, it's just not your fault. I mean, you were just a child, a child. You, you, you didn't get what you needed and that wasn't your fault. And I think that, you know, people need to know that, you know, that that there's no shame, there's no wrong, there's no bad. It's not, it was not your fault. Do you know that? Yeah, thank you. Of course, you know it intellectually, but internalizing it in your soul or whatever, your inner being, your heart, um, that's another story, right? Because <laughs> there are things yeah. that are so old, they just become calcified. They become part of every 
piece, every fiber of your being. Um, it's hard to to sort of shake that. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and tell me, um, at what point? Well, maybe tell me a little bit more about kind of your brother and kind of how that experience, you know, shapes your life. Um, you know, as you start to move through high school and into college and, and into your early adult life. Tell me more about that. Yeah. I mean, it's actually had a huge impact because my parents are dead and I'm his legal guardian today. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I am my brother's keeper. Like I, I am trust. He has trust. I'm the trustee. Um, I bought a duplex with my husband so that my brother can live on the other side and have independence, but still have us close by. He uh, has a roommate that lives there with him who also has developmental disabilities. They have staff, uh, Medicaid-funded staff, and they, before the pandemic, were working. Um, I think the roommate is still working um, through supervised you know, um, workshops. Um, my brother went to uh, supervised workshops, uh, like a day habilitation center. His roommate cleans office buildings, actually, um, with a crew of people uh, with special needs who who clean. So, yeah, I was just going to say, and so it's been, our parents dying has been pretty hard on our whole family. And I'm thinking more about my mother's death this year because the story of how she died is pretty terrible. She was murdered and her killer is up for parole this October. It's been 20 years. She worked as a secretary and went to college on the weekends to get a social work degree because she wanted to be a therapist. She had a therapist. Um, I would go to her therapist with her. And she loved she loved being in therapy. She wanted to help other people. And um, she, when she graduated from Ohio Dominican, we were so proud of her. We took her out to block spankles. <laughs> We had our graduation party. It was just like a few people, a little party. And she uh, applied to Ohio State to go and get a master's degree in social work. But unfortunately, when they took her grades from back, way back when she was 18 years old and first went to college at Urbana University, she got bad grades and they combined those and her GPA wasn't high enough. She was not accepted into the school of social work at Ohio State which is ironic because later after she died, they established a scholarship in her name. (laughs) But she, uh, instead of becoming a therapist and because she didn't get into school at Ohio State, she went and worked at Franklin County Children's Services as a caseworker, working with families who were experiencing abuse, violence, addiction, all of those things. And, um, she had a family that was particularly troublesome. There were eight children. Um, the father was sexually abusing the children. The father was violent. Um, there was drug use going on in the house. And my mom talked about this family from time to time over the... She was only at Children's Services for like two years before she died. Um, so <clears throat> this... The, the parents weren't um, following any treatment program and they weren't making improvement. So after like a year and a half, my mom made a recommendation. You know, the children had already been removed from the home, placed with relatives and so forth. My mom made a recommendation that they become permanent. You know, they take the custody away from the parents permanently. So the day that my mom went to tell them that, to tell the parents, the mother 
I still to this day don't know why you would walk out of a conversation like that. But the mother left the house and my mom was left alone with this man and he murdered my mom with kitchen knives and he beat her and choked her and, um, and left. He put clean clothes on over his bloody clothes and got in his car and tried to drive and pick his kids up from school unsuccessfully. He ended up at NetCare Access that day where he confessed, went, you know, went to jail and um, went through the whole process of um, our family decided to accept a plea agreement instead of pressing for a death penalty trial. I actually came out, even though the prosecutor was saying like, it was in the newspaper, you know, death penalty or whatever. And I said, I don't, I don't support that. I'm against it. Even though this person killed my mom, I still think it's wrong. And so we didn't do that. And I don't know what I would have, you know, I wish he wasn't able to ever get up for parole, but the laws just weren't written like that. So mm-hmm. I don't think he's going to be paroled and I don't want to go to his hearing. I don't want to meet him. I don't want to be in a room with this person. I don't want him to know I exist. I have a different name now. I had a different name than my mom back then anyway. But you but do I'm want him really to... I have a lot of anxiety around that. Like what's going to yeah, happen this fall? Yeah, I I understand. I don't blame you. And and you know, I think your position on the death penalty is incredibly admirable, you know, knowing the experience you've had. It's easy for people to have kind of opinions on that, but when it's your family um to still feel that way um and yet now kind of be faced with this possibility even even the possibility is 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 understandably anxiety provoking and i um just you know want to kind of like honor that there's a lot there that you know yes you're in this current state today where that pending parole brings up a lot for you um not to mention the actual experience of having your mother murdered, uh, especially as she is committed to trying to help people through challenging, you know, horrible situations has to have been just heartbreaking beyond, there's no words. I don't even have the words to describe what that must have been like for you and still is today, how that must still be a part of your life in a very traumatic way. It is. When someone violates your family and your loved one's body, it's like they violate my body. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like they did that to me. It's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. So what I'm hoping though is that I mean it's been 20 years, you know, and this is like not something I've t- like talk about because I never want to see the look on people's faces that I'm hurting them by telling them, you know, the pain people experience upon hearing this story is hard for me to see. But and also I never want it to be treated differently. And I don't know. I don't know if you meet people in your life who are like always talking about the terrible things that have happened to them and they sort of carry it like this. And I never wanted to be that person. I wanted to go forward and 
um, try to help people, um, which is what um, brings me a lot of joy in life to help others and and just kind of have it not be about me, which is, again, right? That's my whole career. Um, yeah. well, well, let's talk about that because I, I think, you know, this is a really important piece. You know, there is this balance of wanting to move forward, right? And, and create your life in the way that you want it to be and also to use your life to create from instead of having it um, you know, really hold you back or hold you down, um, limit you. But, but you know, there's some real stuff that's happening here. I mean, like as real as it gets, you know, the, the abuse, the, um, the, the, the murder, the the you know challenge of 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 having parents separate your autistic brother i mean katie these are things that you know i certainly um don't look at you in the way that i think maybe you f- would fear people looking at you that there's some sort of um i don't know like you know sadness or pity or something right that you don't want i i look at you right now as you share this as like Incredibly courageous, really strong, um, and beautiful, and and so you know I see this as just not only all of those things, but also really important for other people to hear, and not not to not to dwell, but but to make sure there is some space for what happened to to have a voice. Uh, and and so you know, I, I, look again. There are other people in any area in, in a wide spectrum of suffering, of of trauma. Uh, that you know, I think your story, and and we can talk about what you've chosen to do with it, um, and we can move forward, right? We can talk about that, and we will. But I I think what you've shared so far is really important for, for others to hear. Um, and, and maybe important for you to acknowledge and, and create you know, real space to allow to have you know, been true for you. Yeah. And to share it and to... Um, I'm hoping to write about it. Um, you know, I'm a writer. I need to write about it. Um, and I want to do that this year. And I'm hoping that coming and having this conversation with you is in a way, a way of holding myself accountable to myself and my wish to write about it. I think that I haven't, by not writing about it and by not talking about it as much, maybe I haven't dealt with it. It's been a way of putting it in a in a drawer and hoping to live a life without it, you know, a life free of it. But, um, you know, as you know, you can't do that. It's still there. It festers. It doesn't heal. Um, I mean, yes, I've experienced healing. And of course, I've had therapy for a long time, um, although not currently because my therapist uh, retired. So if anybody knows any good ones, please email me. I'd like it to I be a have woman, names. please. Yes, I have Oh, actually, a woman you. in her 60s would be great. Not to be like a weirdo, but it just helps me if it's sort of a mother figure. And so sharing it, I mean, I think it's... Uh, uh, you bring those stories, you unearth them. You bring them into the light so they can heal. 
so they so you validate your own experience and make it okay it's not the, it's not anything to be ashamed of um yeah. i've struggled and, and, with that i have yeah. felt for a long time like i was in um a lifeboat uh with other people and that i am mortally wounded and i am hiding my wound because yeah. i don't want them to throw me overboard yeah listen i i get it and i think that it's very real and and very normal for people who have experienced trauma especially to the extreme that you have to feel all of those things and and frankly i think it's almost miraculous that you've been able to you know function at kind of the high level that you have you know there's there's you know a lot of psychology around kind of um uh, i'm really fascinated with with parts work internal family systems where I've never heard you know, of that yeah, it, it's um there's there's a, Tim Ferriss actually did a podcast recently with a a guy whose name escapes me right now we can put it in the notes um uh and he walks um Tim through a a, a parts work session where you can kind of see the different parts of yourself and how um a a a part could be this one that um, really excels in life and really ends up accomplishing a lot because it's there to kind of protect the parts that don't want to be seen or haven't been dealt with. Um, And so it's not uncommon for a lot of people to kind of really kick into high gear and be very successful and productive and to help other people to, you know... um, to to kind of uh, protect themselves, it's really a protector part, um, and that's a whole long conversation. But you know what I I I think is interesting here and and important. You know, and I had this experience. You wrote about it, where you know I got to share a little bit of of me that people didn't know when I spoke at the chamber. This kind of speaking, this kind of writing, this kind of sharing is very cathartic, not just for you, but what you will find, and I know this to be true, is people will will learn and heal from this in their own trauma, in their own challenge. You, you will be somebody who is not only healing yourself, but healing others by coming forward with this. And, I, and, and, I, and it feels to me, and this is exactly why I, I enjoy this podcast, is that the writing piece, your, your gift as a writer, however that came into your life, however you came into this world of media, is, is probably um, ultimately for you to write your own story, for you to share your own story. Um, and I don't, I, you said that you wanted to do this, so I don't feel like I'm putting this on you, but boy, whatever you need, Whatever support you need to be able to put pen to paper and write this story, whether it be a book or a TED talk or a Netflix series, I don't what all of the above, right? Share this, please, Katie. Share it. Thank you. And thank you for sharing your story that day at the chamber. I know everyone has said this to you, but I'm just going to tell you again. I was there and it was powerful, Brett. I was absolutely in tears. 
uh, that was amazing. And it was so unexpected. It was so awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I, I think, you know, you, it's, you know, you're welcome. And I, and I, and, and it was, like I said, it was, it was good for me and good for others. And, um, and, and that's just what I see for you too. It's like, this is why I'm doing this podcast is because we all have a story. I said it in the, in the speech, you know, we all have our stories and they need to be heard and shared and that we are all the same in some way, shape or form. We are human beings having a human experience. It can be hard. It can be challenging. It can be shared and supported and it can be used to create. And, you know, that's what I know you're doing with your work. You've committed your life to sharing people's stories to, um, you know, my experience with you and, and, and kind of your writing and, and your editorial um, you know, talents have been really to bring out the story in a loving, positive, supportive way. And, you know, boy, you know, if, if, if that's how you've, you know, committed uh, your life, your work, I think it's really important and, and really helpful. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I just want to use the platforms that I'm fortunate to have access to uh, for good. And I know there's, you know, I'm supposed to be like unbiased and, and, and I, and I do bring professionalism to my work. Um, and I do take steps to make sure that it's not, um, you know, inappropriately biased, but I think in telling people's stories that maybe doesn't come into play as much. And it's okay for me to say, like, I want to use my platforms to fight racism. I want to use my platforms to give people who don't have voices a voice. That's what those platforms are there for. And, and I want to use them too to help other people learn. Um, obviously, getting the news out at its very core is like crucial to helping people learn and be able to function in society. Um, but also, I hope to bring with longer form pieces, um, you know, the opportunity to really um, break down complex topics, educate people, bring things that they hadn't thought about before to light. Um, let them get to know different sides of people that they do business with who maybe they they had no idea, um, you know, that person had that experience or um, so so I have no problem saying, yes, you know, I want to use my platforms for good. It's my mission. Yeah. well, I, I think uh, it's also why uh, it's also, how you can use your life experience for the betterment of other people, our society, our world, and for yourself. I think this is part of a, a healing that, that is yours and is a part of other people's and maybe part of a collective healing, you know, that you can use this experience. You can see how, although you would never uh, wish it upon anyone how you would never want to repeat it yourself. Um, you could see how you can now live the rest of your life by uh, using it, you know, and, and really powerfully using it in a way that, you know, could be even have some gratitude in it, you know, and, and I don't, I don't want to be presumptuous and, and say that like you need to get all the way there. Um, but but 
um, there's a lot here that you get to use now to help other people. That's a really interesting way of looking at it. Uh, being, you know, people are grateful for the terrible things that have happened to them in a sense, because you wouldn't be that person uh, without those things, right? Yeah. And, and again, you know, you've had, you've had some stuff that's hard to imagine being grateful for. So I'm not suggesting that, you know, you need to have gratitude here. I'm, I'm just saying that um, there's, there's an opportunity to choose, go forward, you know, how you want your past to be a part of your future, you know, and, and I think you have already made that choice that you, you want to use it and you're using it in your work and um, hopefully in this, this book um, or whatever it is that you choose to create, um, you know, with, with, this, with this very, very challenged and, and, you know, a lot of ways profound life that you've had. So Katie, I really appreciate you sharing everything you have today. And I just appreciate you and knowing you and being in this journey with you and anything else that you want to make sure we touch on before we start to wrap up. No, I mean, I just want to thank you for giving me a, a safe space to be able to share this. You know, it's like just you and I are having a conversation. And yet this will be, uh, we'll have listeners. And so I'm grateful for that. Um, it's, it makes it easier than imagining doing it like in a live room full of people or mm-hmm. on television. <laughs> mm-hmm. That sounds terrible, uh, terrifying. So actually gives me um, even more appreciation for the courage you showed being able to get up in front of a room full of 1,200 people and deliver your story actually from you live, like saying it. Um, That was pretty amazing. And I would like to get to that point. Um, I I would. Um, Maybe not 1,200 people though. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well, I, I I would strongly encourage you to do it. And I think you can. And I think if this is a, a first step in that direction, you know, that's great. I, I think you don't have to either. You know, it's it, this is yours to share and, and share at your own pace and in your own way. And whatever that is will be perfect. And thank you for sharing it with me today. You know, if if that's if that's the only thing that ever happens, you know, um, I think it's really, it's really been uh, an important uh, time that you've shared you know, with, with me and um, with our audience. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Gravity Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe, leave us a review, and follow me on Instagram, at Brett Kaufman, on Twitter, at bkaufman125, and subscribe to our YouTube channel by searching for The Gravity Podcast with Brett Kaufman. And please send me a DM with any guests or topics that you'd like to hear on future episodes.